Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, meant that thank you for being here for Christmas uh, and for this opportunity. Um, there are uh, a lot of things that we could talk about uh, throughout the year, and a lot of us would have some overlap in what we're familiar with, but Christmas is one of those things where it feels like uh, everyone is familiar with parts of Christmas, whether it's the modern traditions of making cookies and decorating trees um, and listening to Mariah Carey like for a month straight, uh, 11 months, no Mariah Carey, but uh, there's one month where it's just nonstop Mariah Carey. There's ancient traditions, um, some of those like we've actually gotten to do tonight, singing some of these songs. I mean, um, it's really powerful to think about the fact that some of these songs have been sung for 700 years, 800 years. There's this annual gathering of people to sing these songs about Christ being born. Uh, it's a really beautiful thing. Family, uh, exchanging gifts, maybe not in the totally commercialized way that it is, but this idea of gift giving and, and caring for each other is something, it's an ancient tradition. And, and even the Christmas story itself, which if we're honest, there's a, a lot of things that can be challenging to believe in the Christmas story. Uh, there's a lot of angels speaking to people. There's a virgin birth. There's wise men, magi traveling thousands of miles following a star. There's, there's all these different components. And, and even in the story, you heard her kind of reference this idea that she was woken up by a voice. And, and there may be a part of you that's kind of like a, a little bit skeptical. Like, really? Well, does she really hear a voice? Uh, how does she know? Could it be true? And the reason why I think that maybe some of you have those skeptical thoughts is because I also have those skeptical thoughts a lot of times. Sometimes it, it, there's things that we can't really explain. There's things that are hard to believe. There's things that are really challenging for us to wrap our minds around because it's so different than what we're used to. But I think out of all of these components of the Christmas story, I think that the hardest thing to believe in the Christmas story is one that we don't often talk about very much. It's one that we may not even acknowledge throughout the Christmas season. Maybe we think about it a little bit more the other months of the year. Yeah, it's a hard thing. <laughs> I think the hardest thing for us to really think about and, and for us to believe in the Christmas story is that there could be a God who loves us so much that God would come, he would deliver us his son that God would become an infant born into humanity, that God would become one of his created beings. It's so hard for us to believe that there's a God that loves us so much that he would remove the, the chasm between us, that he wanted to come close to us because we couldn't figure out how to get our way to a relationship with him. There's a, a God who loves us so much he wanted to close that distance. He wanted to give us a, a physical representation of his love and that comes at Christmas time in the person of Jesus. 
I don't know if you've ever had one of these situations. I'm sure most of us have on some level um, where you do something wrong or you let someone down, you make a mistake, hurt a feeling, whatever it might be, and you try and make it right. You apologize. Maybe you try and make amends, but it feels like no matter how much you do or how sincere you are, there's still like a little bit of a gap. Like I, I can't quite fix this. I can't quite get us back to the way that things were or the way that things should be. Well, for thousands of years, this is kind of what life was like. People, both the Jewish people, Israel, as well as people in other nations that believed in other gods or had other idols, uh, people lived with this kind of understanding that there was a God or gods out there and that they needed to do everything they could to appease the God, to keep them from being angry, uh, to stand um, in good, uh, to be in good standing with their God, um, to maybe earn favor with their God so that they would receive certain blessings or good things and maybe they could avoid the bad things. Uh, this was true in the, in the Jewish faith. This is, there was an entire sacrifice and temple system that was set up and it was really these sacrifices were a way for people to kind of this is not a theological term, but band-aid the problem. It was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put like a stop gap here. Like this will help for a little bit. This will, this will let God know that I am intentional and that I care and that I'm showing up, but nothing is actually able to fully heal this relationship yet. It's an interesting thing to, to think about this reality because I think a lot of us are still kind of working in this way today. It looks different. There's probably not as many sacrifices happening on a daily basis. Uh, but we do all kinds of things to try and earn God's love, to try and prove our worth. Uh, and maybe it's not about God. Maybe it's about people or power or a relationship or, or whatever it might be. But we're constantly trying to work and earn or prove that we have value or worth, that we're good enough, that we're smart, that, that whatever it might be, that, that we've changed or that we've become better. I mean, the list goes on. We are constantly trying to figure out how to do this. And it's interesting to me because as much as we strive to get to this space where we feel whole, valued, valuable, uh, loved, connected, all of this that we work for is actually something that God offers us freely. We're trying to work to achieve these things, work to get to these things, and God is inviting us to experience them. I had a mentor that um, used to explain it this way, and I don't know if it makes sense. It's always stuck in my mind, but I don't know if it'll help you, but I'm going to try it. Uh, so uh, he used to say that many of us, uh, especially in America, we have a, a middle-class spirituality. He would talk about this idea of a middle-class spirituality, and what that would mean in his mind is this idea that it's like, hey, I'm not looking for a handout, okay, God? Like, I, don't, I, I can work for it. I'm not so broken. I'm not so incapable that I can't earn something. I'm not looking for something for free. I, need to, I want to show. I want to prove. I want to earn something. And I think that that's really true for so many of us. It's really difficult to just be given something. Some of you can't even just be given a compliment, you deflect, you twist it. You say, no, it was terrible. And, I mean, there's, we really struggle with this idea of being given something generous, kind, sincere. And it's true with God's love as well. We struggle to just receive it. We want to show that we are worth it, that somehow we've earned it. This story of Christmas 
is a story where God finally says, you know what, I've seen what you can do, and now it's my turn. Watch what I can do. I want to read part of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. We'll have some of these verses on the screens as well. It says, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And it's interesting details here, but if you read the beginning of Luke, he actually starts it out saying, I wanted to give an orderly account of all that's happened. So Luke, who's writing this, he's trying to give as many details as possible saying, hey, you know when this happened. You know who this person was. You know the the year that these things happened in. It says that everyone went to be registered uh, and everyone went to their own city. Joseph was also sent up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is a part of the story that we're familiar with, but we're connecting the dots. The reason why there was no room is because everybody had to go back to the town that they were from. Some of you guys, that's a terrifying thought. You never want to go back to the town that you grew up in. But this is everyone traveling back, people that didn't live there anymore. Every single room was taken. So they have this manger uh, outside of an inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, aka when they saw that this baby was born, was in a manger, was in these swaddling clothes, that a savior had been born, they told everyone that they could tell. They made it widely known what had happened. Um, And then Chris lost his place. Uh, And all those who heard it, Uh, marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now, this is a beautiful part of the Christmas story. We got to hear other components from our incredible uh, readers who we had during worship, which was awesome. Um, there's some components about this part of the Christmas story that I think are worth talking about. And, and, and maybe you've heard uh, uh, people talk about the shepherds and the role that shepherds had in this story. Maybe you've even heard me talk about it in years past. It is true that being a shepherd was not necessarily on anyone's uh, like job wish list. 
It was kind of the, the youngest of the siblings would always be assigned to watch over the herd and the flock. Um, people would try and get other jobs, but if those other jobs didn't work out, then they would just kind of fall back on shepherding. So it, it was kind of a, a thankless job, a job that didn't really get much respect. And uh, it doesn't take a lot to imagine that it was also smelly uh, and dirty. Uh, and, and it wasn't like they were able to sleep in a home. They had to sleep wherever the sheep were sleeping. And so there was a, a little bit of uh, cynicism, I guess, about this idea of being a shepherd. But it's interesting. And, and one thing I would say is that uh, it's fascinating that the King of Kings, that Jesus, the Savior who was born, was born in a stable. Because if he was born in a palace, no shepherd would have ever been allowed in. There's only a handful of people that would have been able to make it into that room in that palace. A stable is the only place that anyone could go. Kings, queens, rulers, religious people, and even the lowly shepherds were welcome in a stable. There's access for everyone to celebrate the birth of Jesus and what that represented. But one of the things that I've learned over these last few weeks, I've been learning a lot this year um, in this Christmas story. Um, and uh, it's interesting because uh, there are rules about where you can let your flocks of sheep spend the night. And there was a rule, it's uh, documented in, in the Jewish historians, it's documented by the religious leaders and their kind of religious laws, that people couldn't just let their herd spend the night inside of the city, uh, or even in the, the hills surrounding the city. It, the herds had to be out in the wilderness, far out from the city. And so it's an interesting thing when you come to this story and you hear about how there's these shepherds that are just in the city, in the fields, it's like, well, why were they allowed to be in these fields and the other shepherds and the other herds were not? And, and this is what I've come to learn over these last couple of weeks, that there was uh, just kind of your everyday shepherds who oversaw somebody's flock of sheep. And then there was this specific group of shepherds and they oversaw a specific group of sheep. These sheep were for the temple. They were for the priests and the religious leaders to use for sacrifices and the way that they cared for these sheep was really important because they couldn't have any sort of blemish, any sort of wounds or scars or cuts or anything because that would have made them uh, unclean for these sacrifices. And these sacrifices were the ways that they put a Band-Aid on their relationship, on the gap, on the chasm between their relationship with God, understanding who God was and, and, and being in a, a right relationship with God. So it's fascinating because the angels show up to speak of a savior to these shepherds who are part of this religious system. They're part of this sacrifice system. They're part of this system that understands that there is a gap between us and God. And these angels say, hey, I've got great news. And it's for everyone. It's not just for the religious people or the wealthy. It's also for the shepherds and the outcasts and the outsiders it's for the non-religious and the doubters and the skeptics. It's for everyone. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men because today a Savior has been born. And this, the angels, they, they tell him, uh, they tell the shepherds, you'll be able to find this baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloth. Now, there's another interesting thing that I've learned here. And again, I don't know if you'll find it interesting or not, but I've got the microphone, and uh, as Adam Sandler says, you'll listen to every word that I have to... I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I grew up in church. Uh, I've heard these stories over and over again, and, and these swaddling cloths, I, in my mind, it was just, 
you know, the, the cloth, the rags, whatever was around to wrap up this baby in. But it was actually a really specific thing. And these shepherds would have known it because they had this holy religious flock of sheep. And when these sheep would have a lamb, these shepherds would literally be right there in the process. I won't go into any more details. And they would catch or receive this newborn lamb in swaddling cloths. It was this priestly fabric that they only had in temples. And they, they did that because that lamb wasn't allowed to touch the ground or become scarred or scratched or dirty in any way. It needed to be perfect without blemish. And so these angels tell these shepherds, hey, a savior has been born and you'll recognize what's so special. This perfect baby is born, a savior of the universe. It's such a fascinating thing to me because the angels, they show up, they tell the good news and they say, do not be afraid good tidings, great joy for all people. And this will be the sign. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. And all throughout scripture, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God, this perfect baby that was born. He lived a life exemplifying God's perfect love for all of us. The message of Christmas is that whatever you've been doing to make things right between you and God, the effort the fingers crossed, the earning, the trying to prove that you're good enough or that you can change on your own or that you can clean up your act enough for God to be able to start to love you. The message of Christmas, the good news of Christmas is that none of that is needed anymore, that Jesus has come, God's son given to us, a savior for all, a perfect lamb who would ultimately give his own life as a sacrifice for us. One of the most popular scriptures ever is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anybody whosoever, thank you, that whosoever believes in him. Not whoever can prove that they're smart enough or holy enough or religious enough or they can quote the most scriptures or they can whatever it is, it's whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse, I think, is just as important for us to remember. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I think that a lot of us, even us Christians, even some of us pastors, we believe in God's love. We know that it's a free gift. We know we can't earn our way. We can't fix ourselves but there's still this question that oftentimes we have in our mind of, man, it just feels like God's got to be really disappointed in me. He's got to be really bothered with my choices. He's got to be really upset at the way that I've been acting or the things I've done in my past or the things that are happening in my present, maybe the things that have been done to me. We, we kind of have this fear, this concern, and right after this verse that we're all so familiar with of this idea that we're invited to everlasting life by believing in Jesus. Right after that, he says, and just so you know, he's not here to condemn you. He's not here to point out all your flaws and say, yeah, you're right. You are terrible. <laughs> you are unhelpable. You are unsavable. That's not it. He's not here to condemn. He's here so that through him we could be saved. That is the good news of great joy. That's 
what peace on earth for all looks like. But this is a challenging thing for us to wrap around, our, wrap our minds around it. So many pieces of the Christmas story that can be hard for us to believe, but I really believe that's, that's the hardest one for us to truly believe day in and day out. That as we are, God invites us in. In this moment, God invites us in. There's another part of Jesus's teachings. It's in John chapter six. And I think he, I think God is very clearly aware of our doubts. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was fully human and understands the struggles and, and the issues and the challenges that we have. And it's interesting because John six thirty seven says, all that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And say this maybe another way, a more modern way, what Jesus is saying is, if you're coming to me looking for love, looking for forgiveness, looking for acceptance, looking for meaning, for purpose, for value, you've got it. And there is no, no thing that can cause me to push you out. There's no amount of past or addiction or habit or broken relationships or mistakes or doubts. He can handle all of it. There's nothing that can overcome his love for you. By no means will I cast anyone out. I think it's so difficult for us to believe this really, but it truly is the good news of Christmas, that God loves us this much, that there's nothing that we can do to unearn, to push him away. That love is constant. But the loves that we understand are all these human loves. And we've got some, we've got some issues. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I've got two kids, and um, we had a, a pool right out front of our apartment door for the longest time. So our kids learned to swim at a very early age, which is just such a treat, learning and teaching kids how to, to swim. What a fun time. Um, but uh, I remember when they were really younger and at other pools, I don't know if you've seen those pools that have like a nice little slope where it just kind of moves a little bit easier. And, and I remember even when they were like kind of still wobbly, um, being in the shallow end and, and they would be gripping my hand or maybe if they were young enough, maybe just my finger. And there's a sense that they're holding on for dear life. But as that water gets deeper and they're not able to keep their balance or keep their feet on the ground, there's really no way that they could be strong enough to hold on to me. There's no way that their tiny hand could grip tightly enough. But obviously, I'm holding on to them. And there is no way that I'm letting go of them in that water. There is no way I'm going to loosen my grasp on them. They're holding on to me, but in the reality is the only reason why we're able to stay close, stay connected, why they're able to be safe is because I'm holding on to them. And this is the good news of Christmas, that God did not leave us on our own, in our own strength to try and fix ourselves, to try and make things better on our own, to try and be good enough for him. God came close in Jesus, God crossed that barrier and he invites us into a relationship where he 
is the strength. He is the power. He is the one that is able to not only heal us and forgive us and make us whole, but he's the one that is able to overcome anything that we could imagine that could possibly put us out of reach of our Heavenly Father. This is the message of the good news of Christmas. There is nothing that can overcome the power of God's love for us. And it's seen most clearly in the gift of his son, Jesus, in this Christmas story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I, uh, I think that there's a part of each one of us that really truly believes in your goodness. Uh, we believe that there is more out there than we could imagine, that we could understand uh, but it is, it's hard and scary sometimes to believe that your love could be so powerful that there's nothing that we could do to get in the way of it, that we could, there's nothing that we could do to inhibit it, to, to turn you away from us. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures of your great love for us is uh, scripture says that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to become one of us, human, to become one of your creation, to live as both God and man, a perfect life, showing a different way, constantly inviting outsiders in and caring for people that have been forgotten and pushed away. This is a picture of what your love looks like. And God, if we can't believe it in the Christmas story, then I don't know how we can believe it in any other moment of our lives. So I pray that you would seal that in our hearts today. For those of us that are Christians, for me as a pastor, would you seal that in my heart? Would you help me hold on to that? Even in the moments when it feels hard to believe, would you help me choose to believe it? And if you're here tonight and maybe you've not made that decision, you never put your faith or your belief in God. You never put your belief in who Jesus is and, and the way that he taught us to live and, and invites us to follow him, I want to give you a chance to do that tonight. Um, I'm going to say a prayer in just a minute. And, and if you want to make that decision for the first time or, or maybe you want to recommit your life to following the way of Jesus, I want you to not only pray this prayer out loud with your words, but also with your heart. And you're not going to be on your own. We're all going to repeat these words together. I want all of us to repeat these words um, let's, let's say this after me. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for overcoming the gap. Would you make me whole? Help me live a different way. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, 
information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.